Before we begin, I want to thank General Motors for their collaboration and sponsorship on this very special Juneteenth episode. You can learn more about General Motors' commitment to fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion and the actions to achieve positive change at GM.com. What is Juneteenth? Okay, can I, can I, can I, because I will be honest with you. I, I, I didn't, I didn't, um, I'm not as savvy or as knowledgeable as I want to be at age 53. You know, of course you learn about Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass, you know, so on and so forth. But I was like, well, how did I miss all of that? How could I, how could we not have been taught that? Throughout? I think it's important to be able to say, I don't know. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people are scared to say that, so they never find out. I'd be curious to know when was the first time that was celebrated. I think that the reason that there is a Juneteenth is because Independence Day wasn't a day of independence for everyone. For everyone, yeah, yes. Juneteenth, a strange fruit kind of holiday. How do you celebrate the end of your oppression when that oppression really isn't over? Just like funerals have become celebrations of life and divorces, moments of liberation, rooting ourselves in celebration connects us to our power. But what is Juneteenth exactly? Feel like you should know, but you don't? Miss Marsha will give us some of the Juneteenth ABCs so we can all wrap our heads and hearts around the historical moment and the true power in continuing to remember it. Uh, Juneteenth really originated uh, from the period in which there was still enslavement. In 1863, slavery had been declared over with. And people began to celebrate the emancipation of our people. However, in Galveston, Texas, it took over a year and a half to two years for that information to get to them. This is not today once we have every form of technology connecting us to one another and roads and freeways and highways and all of this. Isolation that was there in Texas was indicative of isolation that existed in all the areas of enslavement. And now what happens? I can only imagine what it was like in those years, having been let loose in this country without a net beneath us. People walking up and down the roads, trying to find one another, to try to reconnect with people that they may have not seen in years, that were their children that they had been taken away from and were probably hundreds of miles away. There is so much involved in the oppression of a people. The very fact that we have people amongst us of such ability to rise above the circumstance in which they find themselves, that is just amazing how we are able to continue on, to continue on. Which is why Juneteenth and the celebration and the holiday and the remembering is so important. How do you think when we knew we were free, that adjusted um, our acts of expression? Out of all of this comes this extraordinary music that we make, comes a certain kind of physical presence that we have, the language that we speak. All of this is some of the beauty that is wrought 
out of this misery that we survived. Style is loving yourself till everyone else does too. And if self-love is the bar, this next sister has raised it to the heavens. The writer, producer, and self-described image activist, Michaela Angela Davis. There's been a lot of scholarship and, you know, commentary around Black fashion that it's it's in response to whiteness. It's a response to being marginalized. It's we're so fly because we've been so oppressed. I, I don't look at it centering whiteness. Mm. I look at it as this is something that survived the Middle Passage. This is an impulse and an instinct that could not get beaten and drowned out of us. Oh. If, you, if you look up across the continent in the thousands and thousands of tribes, ain't none of them bland. Mm. Ain't none of them wearing cargo shorts. <laughs> Just so much adornment and color and vibrancy and genius and silhouette and the hairstyles are just like monumental. I mean, from North Africa to South Africa, like the, <laughs> the costuming, the glorifying of one's body and the response of God. Yes. Like that's that's in the DNA. So it it will translate. <laughs> Come on. Over time, mm. I see the genesis of Black style coming from that, coming from the thing you could not kill, right? Like rhythm, like syncopation, like talking to our ancestors. Like there's some stuff that just couldn't get whitewashed. And style is one of those things. And that's one of the reasons why there's such resistance to a little girl having beads in her hair while she's beating y'all at baseball. Preach. What did you first learn about Juneteenth? And, you know, what was that first time that you remember really hearing about and understanding what Juneteenth is? I'm pretty sure the first I heard of Juneteenth was in high school at Duke Ellington School of the Arts. We were given like these, what was it called? Xeroxes mm. to supplement the history books with Black history. Our teachers were very interested in a generation of children not having a narrow narrative of those who, you know, were in power. And so mm. if we were going to talk about the American Revolution, we were going to talk about Juneteenth. Mm. Actually, my first act of activism, it was 1976, and D.C. was all tricked out for the centennial celebration, mm. right? All this money poured into downtown. They scooted all the, you know, poor Black people out the way for this big party. So some students at Howard had T-shirts that were black with the outline of the continent. And it said, we were slaves in 1776. Mm. We wanted to remind them, as you're having this big old party, people were enslaved. So what's our party? Mm. So Juneteenth was kind of like that. So what's our party? And everyone's at a disservice when they don't understand the complexity Mm. of this country. And I think that's why, you know, having conversations about Juneteenth especially are so important because we are essentially celebrating the 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 fact that even after two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, people were still enslaved in Texas. And then some and then the union had to say, oh, y'all are free. You do, our bad. And, we, and they weren't free. Let's be clear. They weren't free. They were just no longer enslaved by those people. What's so interesting about Juneteenth and and just that whole era, I've been on a couple of HBCU campuses, 
and you roll up and you'll see established in 1853, mm. established in 1867. I'm like, how, 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 how? how? In Louisiana, mm. during enslavement, you built an institution. And I saw that and I just burst into tears. Like people were still enslaved everywhere around them and they found the curse to build a university. Like that's what we're celebrating. So do you guys think there is a certain irony to Juneteenth? Um, yeah, yeah. because we should have never been enslaved in the first place. Emmy-nominated satirist Baratunde Thurston is no stranger to speaking truth to power and getting some thought-provoking laughs in the process. So excited to have you here today, Baratunde. Can you give me your first memory of Juneteenth? So let me, let me paint a picture for you of a part of my childhood. I grew up on Newton Street in Columbia Heights in Washington, D.C., to a Black mother on a Black block in a Black city. Okay. We had the Africa paintings on the wall. I had the Africa map where my mom drilled me to name the nations because Africa is a continent, not a country. So name all those countries. And she would like drill me on it. My name is Baratunde, which is derived from the Nigerian Yoruba name Babatunde. I've been black this whole time. And in all that childhood, and nobody talking about no Juneteenth. Mm. We did Kwanzaa. You know what I'm saying? We were Kwanzaa people. Kwanzaa. (laughs) But Juneteenth was this vague echo of a word. Probably in the past 10 years, I fully looked it up and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Sounds like a Texas thing. Right, right. Y'all in Texas, we on the East Coast knew about it a little sooner. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, y'all. Sorry your Emancipation Proclamation got lost in the mail. sorry. (laughs) Sorry about that. But then also saying something doesn't make it so. Right. I just declare you're free. Okay, now what? So how much freedom is this? Mm. (laughs) Like the army pulled up. Mm. It was like, what what y'all doing here? That's got to stop. And better late than never. Glad for that. Um, When we think about all the things we do celebrate in the United States, we don't know for the important role that black folk have played in this country and the important financial role that slavery Mm. played in establishing the dominance of this country. We don't really talk about it. Mm. We don't really acknowledge it. And that lack of acknowledgement of the role of enslavement in creating these United States Mm -hmm. and all this freedom built on all this unfreedom, that we need to rectify that. We need more speech around that. Mm. Mm. And what do you think, what is the speech that needs to continue to happen so that we can speak about this more? In in your own opinion, I know this is layered too, but what would you like to see? I would love to see people in this country speak about the history, Mm. the more complete history. There's a bunch of folks running around proud to be American, don't even know the American story. What what are you proud of? What's this story you're so attached to? Can you make room in it for a bit more truth? And I would love, as we acknowledge that truth and talk about it, that we allow space for grief. Mm. I think we've been so eager to run away from our past because we fear it, because there's so much shame, because we're embarrassed, and because the grief feels overwhelming. If we just stopped and acknowledged like all the stuff <laughs> that has been done in the name of this nation, there's a lot of tragedy in that. And that's okay. It doesn't destroy everything. 
it. Like that is so crazy that as a people, we have to ask for these things, yeah. even though we didn't want them done to us in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, like I have to ask you to say that you all you tried to kill me, but I didn't even <laughs> that's, like that's really that's scary. an awkward request. Yes, but it's it's real. <sighs> but it's real. Yeah. I I live a relatively joyful existence as a black person, and sometimes if I stop to think about it. I was like, what are you so happy about, bro? <laughs> like, you get to, you're smiling. And I think I'm smiling because I'm breathing. I think the part of the blackness that I'm most proud of is that I'm just here. I remember this movie Clerks from way back in the day. And there was this line that stuck in my head for some reason. These guys are working at, at this bodega. And on a day that there is not their shift. Like, we're not even supposed to be here. And sometimes I feel that about Black people in the United States. We're not supposed to be here. Right? Like, like in a technical sense, we, we didn't just, we didn't choose to yep. be here. Like we're not supposed to be here. But also the intention of many of the people who brought us here was to destroy us. Mm. We're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be ourselves here. We're not supposed to speak our language here. We're not supposed to express our spirit and our joy here. So when I smile in this existence and I breathe now, because a whole bunch of other people made that possible. Mm. And I, I am proud that I exist as a testament to that. And, and if we, I think the best version of this is that when we acknowledge these things, it helps free everybody. Yes. You know, there's a lot of this language of liberation. We're going we're gonna to free Black people. We're going to help Black people get free. Cool, cool, cool. Yes. But also white people. Also all of America. Because when you're living in this limited and false story of yourself, you're not free. Mm. You're living inside of a, a lie. That's a cage. That's a cage of deception. And if you're not aware of it, it's all the more tragic. Mm. We knew we weren't free. You know what I'm saying? Like it was very obvious. You are here thinking you're free mm. and you're held captive by a lie. So let's all get free. How about that? How about that? General Motors is a proud sponsor of this very special episode for Juneteenth. For today and tomorrow, for freedom and the future, we're celebrating together. Celebrating the soul of our nation, the movers and the change makers. We're proud of the journey we are on together. In the history of today and in the future of tomorrow, General Motors is working to make change real, truly committed to helping create a better and equitable world for all. Learn more at gm.com. We, <laughs> we will be free once we stop classifying and grouping people and treating each group differently. That's when we'll be free. How long before, how long do you think before everybody gets on board with that? Hopefully, hopefully, oh, I'm optimistic. So hopefully within the next hundred years. Do we what set a that? day for, for that to happen? And, and broadcast it to everybody like, hey, this is what we're doing on this day. <laughs> I say Juneteenth. That way. Hey. You know, I have heard so much talk about now imagining what freedom means and looks like for our community in this day and age. But I wanted to ask you what freedom means to you. How do you define freedom? I don't have the occasion ever to define freedom. And I don't define freedom. You know, you know, people can tell you sometimes, I don't know what it is, but I know what it ain't. Yes. A situation like that. <laughs> it is an unfortunate circumstance that myself, who 
has no lack of words, hmm. feel that I cannot define something by its existence, but by its lack of existence. You, you, you do understanding me? I do, because I cannot say what that actually feels like because I have never felt it and my family hasn't and my ancestors haven't. Uh, and so I can only imagine what it might look like, what it might feel like. And yet we still persevere. We still keep trying to live a life of human beings, mm-hmm. of human beings. In my mind, it popped up the all of the things that we're seeing that are literally the results of things that happened in 1865. Like, it's yes, just yes. wild that we're still living that and still have so it much is. to move through. And, and in this instance, I'm not talking about just people who are perhaps the highly uber rich or anything like that. I'm talking about everyday people, That's right. professionals who have to be slighted on their jobs, blue-collar people who go to work every day and have to make less than others, yeah. students who have to be challenged about their intellectual capabilities. This goes on to as much today as it did 50 years ago or 100 years ago. You know, one of my favorite conversations to have is to talk about the everyday acts of resistance that we have as a, a people. Um, but what are acts of everyday resistance that they did in the past, and what can we do now to continue to liberate ourselves? That young lady that filmed the killing of George Floyd, hmm. she should be raised to a level of a true heroine yes. of our movement. The very fact that her and others, even allies, young whites, who have grabbed these cell phones and they are taking um, pictures and they're recording these acts is yet another way that a fight is taking place. See, it was the same impulse during the civil rights movement that when those cameras got down to Birmingham, Alabama, and, and to see these dogs being sicked on people, it was the fact of the cameras that were finally on this isolated situation that finally broke loose the knowledge of the civil rights movement. So in the same sense, these cameras, these are witnesses, these are eyes of God. And what I love when I'm looking on uh, social media, you know, from Facebook to TikTok to Instagram, what I love is just this joy. We are people of joy, regardless, joy regardless. No matter what, we still have joy. And it's that joy that in and of itself is a rebuking of terror. So when I see those kids, kids keep dancing. Keep dancing. That's right. It's amazing. Keep roller skating. So how are the people celebrating uh, if it was a Juneteenth block party? What would you like to see? Mm, So if this was a Juneteenth block party, I think I'm going to go back to where my last, what I would consider a black party was. It was in Harlem, house music, and people um, with their families and 
you know, picnic baskets and just joy and twirling. And from 80 to eight years old, people are dancing. And it's Harlem. It's another like black location, you know, like DC, like, you know, most of Detroit, like Atlanta. Like Okay, I'm really looking forward to coming back to that, Gia, like... Yeah, back outside. You know, like, that back outside, back with music, back with our people, back with dancing, outfits. Yes, all the fits. Making sure you got the right shoes (laughs) so you can twirl. Yeah. I mean, let's get into the fashion of it all and the expression the of fashion. it all because the fashions, honey, it's so important <laughs> to, to get into that part of the conversation. Um, and so how do you think fashion plays a role when it comes to Juneteenth um, and then to freedom? So there's not like a fashion movement that goes with Juneteenth, but there is with freedom and, um, and freedom of expression and using your body as a site of celebration as a site of creativity Mm. and yes as a site of resistance like we have learned early on in particularly in the civil rights movement that images matter and that image and iconography is critical to revolution and to the movement at large images are, are are implanted in your memory in a different way than, say, a slogan or a speech. Mm -hmm. Like, we remember what Huey Newton looks like. Mm -hmm. We remember what Angela Davis looked like then. We remember the sharpness of Dr. Martin Luther King. We remember the glasses of Malcolm X. We are still seeing, especially now, everyone is practicing everyday acts of resistance. What have been some of your favorite Mm -hmm. types to see? A young woman on Instagram just started showing Black women lounging. You know, kind of like reminiscent of like paintings of the Renaissance, but they were just like in their house. And that notion of Black women being luxurious, resting, napping, sipping tea, just not laboring that is a revolution right there. Like, Black joy and leisure is a revolution. Because, you know, we've been resisting and fighting forever. I want to expand our liberation, right? Like, what are we doing that is self-liberating? And a lot of that comes from support. How this movement is different than, say, even the movement that I saw in the 70s was this notion of we have to take care of ourselves as well. I think that, like, support, juicy, good feelings, that's a revolution to me. Mm. That is beautiful. You know, I think we need to figure out what is the Juneteenth look? Like, what are we going to (laughs) serve when we're celebrating? We need to, I feel like it needs to be like... Is it a head wrap situation? Because it's always hot. Like a whole bunch of head wraps. Because also, you know, under a head wrap, you could have a deep conditioning situation going on, too. That's true. Um... What does freedom for you feel like? So freedom for me looks like telling the truth all the time and making my own decisions. For my daughter, freedom looks like just safety, just safety. Where do you go when you feel like you fear for your own mental and spiritual freedom? Where do you go to kind of recharge and refuel that feeling of freedom? 
So where I go for a feeling of freedom, and I need to be clear about this. If I feel like I'm in any kind of like mental or emotional crisis, I will seek professional help. If I'm just having like a moment that I can't get through, I will call a mentor. I look to the wise women and just talk me down off the ledge. Of course, my mama. And, but for joy, where I go for joy is my daughter. Like, hashtag dope daughter for real. Like, she makes me laugh. She's so smart and so funny and like, and like, She's just the dopest. I love that. Um, that's so that's where I go. It's my daughter, my mama, my mentors, my ancestors. And I have a spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You know, I meditate, I pray. And I seek therapy if I need it. Like, that's it. Like, get God and get a good therapist. Amen. Uh, okay, so we, we've we all been to, you know, our good family cookouts, family gatherings, family celebrations. And we all usually migrate or end up in one area. We've got our garage cousins. We've got the people in the kitchen. We've got the <laughs> folks at the grill. We've got the people on the dance floor. Where do you usually find yourself in those gatherings? And how would you describe those in that group and why you belong there? Oh, I love that question. Where... At the cookout, <laughs> do I find myself? I think I'm a kitchen girl because I, I end up in the kitchen because that's where the conversations are. That's where the wise women are because, you know, they cooking and cleaning because we cooking and cleaning. Mm. Um, and we're sitting down and we're having conversation and we're sharing stories. So I'm in the storytelling space. Yes. I'm in the kitchen. Because, you know, they're telling lies out in the yard. See, okay. if you're you at the table out in the yard with the brown looker, they're telling lies. In the kitchen, they're telling stories, they tell the truth. So I'm going to be in the kitchen with the women watching what they do. And also, I need to learn how to make biscuits. So, so I'm going to sit there and at the feet of women who have lived. Um, I always want to be there. Today is about freedom and joy. And it makes us think of all that we've done together. General Motors is proud to celebrate Juneteenth with you today. It takes all of us working together to make positive change happen. General Motors is taking real action for diversity to create a better world for all. Learn more at GM.com. From all of us at More Than That, the creators, the radio teams, General Motors, and our guests, from our family to yours, Happy Juneteenth! Why are we not celebrating us every single day, every single month of the year? Are we only going to expect to see the celebration happen from people who have a history of not celebrating us? Or do we find ways to like make our own shows to celebrate each other? That's exactly what Which is happening on a large scale. Uh, Let's get to the celebration part of it, because like you said, that is my favorite part of Juneteenth is to see folks celebrate the freedom and the idea of freedom and the striving towards freedom. And so let's imagine we're at a block party. What is your perfect block party Juneteenth celebration look like? Tell me, take me through the sounds, the places and the feeling, especially of the black folks who are there. Oh, there's music. There's music. And it is this musical review through our history, through all the nooks and crannies. And it starts with some Chuck Brown DC go-go. Yes! Yes. Yes. We go back, we go back, and we 
hit them congos, which is so African, which is so that drum that's in our DNA, that's in our roots. And we got... We got Bob Marley and the reggae joint up in there. We got some soul. Mm, Marvin mm, Gaye. Mm. Yes, Marvin Gaye. Then I start smelling things. Yeah. I, I smell and I hear there's a whiff of smoke. There's a sizzle. And, and I'm smelling burgers on the grill. And I'm, then I'm saying there's a grill next to that grill. And it's, it's the extra woke Climate justice aware Negroes rocking them vegan burgers, you know, on a lettuce bun that they grew on a rooftop to keep that carbon footprint minimal. Yeah, my brother, my sister. Yes, we do not need to eat of the flesh. You know, (laughs) (laughs) they telling the people next door. Now look, I'm not judging you, but I'm judging you, brother. Do you want Uh, that in your body, my brother? (laughs) You don't need that. Yes, yes. So I'm smelling. I'm smelling and. There's, there's pies. Mm. Oh, there's pies. And nobody's showing up with a pumpkin pie trying to masquerade as a sweet potato pie. Thank you. So there is truth in this party and the supremacy. I'm a sweet potato supremacist. Yeah. Uh, that, that I will, I will admit. And, and own now. that. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, I honor you for owning that. But <laughs> yeah. we all find our places that we migrate to at parties, whether it's family gatherings, block parties, whatever. Where do you find yourself at these gatherings and why? How do you describe why you end up where you end up at family gatherings? One of my favorite block parties that I would go to every year uh, is in, in Philadelphia. And I find myself in two places, one by the grill, because, you know, somebody's got to oversee, mm-hmm. inspect. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I've considered myself like a safety inspector. Okay, okay. I just want to you know, test stuff as it comes off the line. You know, just make sure it's good enough for everybody else. That's a public service I provide. Thank you for your service. You got it. Then the other place is, is by the DJ booth mm. because it's become increasingly a technology booth. And I, I'm brother Wi-Fi. And, and from that position, at least at, at this block party, you can see everything. Mm. At the cookout, freedom feels like not caring what other people think. Freedom feels like leaving anxieties and burdens and concerns at the edge of the block. You're, you're in this other space now where we dance and we yell and we laugh and we hug and we joke. We're here to cut up. We're here to play. We're here to get somebody's kid who just fell down. Doesn't matter whose kid it is. Yes. They're crying. Okay, let's go. Wash that off. Mm. It's that freedom to care for someone else's kid. Mm. It's that freedom to hug someone else's grandparent. Mm. My grandparents aren't there, but someone's are. So I'm just going to sit with them for a minute and I'm going to let them talk about whatever they want to talk about. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Because uh, they've earned it. They've earned my respect and attention for a moment. We like to think of our ancestors, right, as like, a man and a woman right. in some generation. Had a little baby and then right. there was three. No, but it's yeah. like, if you think about 100 years ago, it was literally like maybe 500 individuals walking around that are all your great-great-great-grandparents. Right. And every generation of us has carried Juneteenth with us as we come along each generation. Hmm. Juneteenth is in each generation. And that's why it's very important for us to embrace our entire families, our history, 
our legacy, and, and it's all about love when it comes down to it. What's one of your favorite block party or barbecue memories? What is one that always stands out or stays at the top of your heart when you think about good gatherings and barbecues and block parties? Our particular family outings were never very raucous. We never even played secular music of any kind. But then there was always the, quote, unsaved that would gather in the garage. And that's where the drinks were. And that's where the, uh, the joke telling was and the good time was. So we would uh, kind of go back and forth between both places. <laughs> I love that. And so many Black families are like that. I was about to say. And I think that that is something that uh, is, is a legacy Mm. that we need to look toward. Uh, my father was uh, a record man by the name of Joe Von Battle, who opened up a record store in 1945 in Detroit after World War II. He loved the blues, and that's what he wanted to play particularly in the area near Black Bottom, what we call that in Detroit, where uh, people were still coming from the South. One day he began to uh, go down to the church that was down the street of a new minister, and his name was the Reverend C.L. Franklin. His daughter sang in the choir, and so my father was the very first to record the voice of Aretha Franklin. Wow. He, he preceded Motown and Barry Gordy for, by about 15 years. He died in uh, about 1973. Uh, his record shop had been forcibly removed because of run a freeway through Old Hastings Street where his record shop was in 1960. And then in 1967, it was destroyed in the aftermath of the civil disturbance in 67. Uh, so after many years, he was in relative obscurity. No one had really had heard of him except for real record collectors. I remembered my father in his early days of greatness mm. when I was a little girl, and I remembered the kind of man that he was. Mm. And so I made it my business that I was going to return my father's name to the public domain. Okay. And, uh, and I believe that I have done that. Truly have. You truly mm -hmm. have. And mm -hmm. whether it's your father's story and legacy or the importance of Juneteenth, oral history is the fabric of how we continue the legacies of our ancestors and how we tell stories in our community. Well, our stories are our history. It is of ultimate importance that we tell our stories because often our, our histories are ignored. You know, the, the places where most of the time people read their history, we're not going to be there. And so it becomes very important for us to record our history. Sometimes it's just as simple as when you go to the, to the family barbecue, get your phone out and record Aunt Liz. Mm. Record Uncle Earl. Record them. Record them. I think freedom is just being able to exist and, and with, without all of these outlier things in place that, that, that restrict you from doing or thinking or saying or moving or creating or breathing, um, yeah. 
what does freedom feel like? How would you describe freedom? Ooh. Freedom is giving myself space. Freedom is forgiving myself and liberating myself from some extraordinary standards I've sometimes held myself to. Mm. Freedom is letting myself make mistakes. I'm like, that's okay. You're not perfect. And real freedom is not even trying to be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) I said that one through my teeth. That was harder. Right. But. (laughs) Wow, not even trying. Real freedom, as my sister Belinda would say, is is just being. Mm. That's her whole thing, just be. She has just be yoga, just being. And it's like if you can be you, Mm. you have the freedom to be who you are and accept you and not contort yourself to other people's expectations of you. Oh, that's dope. Mm. That's Ah. a journey, though. That's a journey. That's a journey. And I and I pray that every person listening to this gets to feel that because, I mean, I'm not there, but at least I hope we all at least get to feel some semblance of that because I feel even the way you said it, like I felt freer. I was like, wow, talk about it. I'm just going to be here and be. <laughs> okay, the last question I have for you is we have ended the block party now. We're all leaving, and but we're approaching a specific corner. And the streets that we're walking on are Joy Avenue and Freedom Boulevard. What do you see at the intersection of joy and freedom? Who is there? What are they doing? What are you experiencing? My mother is there. My mother is no longer here with us in this layer of reality, but she is at that intersection. Mm. And she's saying, what took you so long? (laughs) Yes. I told you this is where I was going. Mm. Yeah. And that intersection is a meeting place of people I have known, people I have heard about, people I have not known but feel like I do. Mm. No, it's it's a gathering from the past and the future because that is where that that's the only place I think either true version of those can happen. True joy, I don't think can exist without freedom. Mm. True freedom means we are in a place of joy. And they're the, they're the same place. It's the, it's the intersection. As we wind down our virtual Juneteenth block party, stay free by any means necessary. And always remember that celebration connects us to and roots us in our collective power. Okay. What is your earliest knowledge of the history of our family in this country? Ladies first. Just Get a little closer. Gra- grandparents. My grandparents were here. Uh, they were from Bennettsville, South Carolina. It's called the Sand Hills. And then they moved up north? And then they moved to Youngstown, Ohio, and worked in the steel mills. And my grandmother did not work. And then they came to D.C., and my grandmother was cleaning houses. Thank you to our guests for joining us and thank you for listening to another episode of More Than That with Gia Peppers. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a good rating and follow us on all socials at More Than That Show on all platforms. 
Thanks again to General Motors for proudly sponsoring this episode of More Than That with Gia Peppers. Visit GM.com for more on their actions and commitment to becoming one of the most inclusive companies in the world. Everybody in.